Well, I am very thankful. We just sang a line, Who Can Stop the Lord Almighty? And I'm very thankful that the answer to that is no one. Nothing. Nothing can stop or prevent his plans. Nothing can alter what, what he wants to bring about. And we see that all through the Bible. We see that all through Scripture. Uh, it's evident. It's obvious. You can see that in your life. Uh, but as we come to the end of God's written Word, Revelation, we see that on full display. That is a message that is shouted all throughout this great book, that nothing, no one, can stop or alter or prevent God and what He has planned. It's going to happen. He's going to bring it about. He's going to accomplish His plan, His purpose, in His perfect way and His perfect timing. And that's what Revelation, above all things, is going to show us time and time again as we go through and explore this great, great book, this, this gold mine of, of God's truth. So I'm excited that we're getting ready to start this this morning, and we'll be in this all summer long, and I hope that you have been looking forward to it as well. And uh, I have been praying that God will use this in very specific ways in your life individually and in the life of our church family. And I hope you've been praying that, and I hope you join me in continuing to pray that. So, Revelation. Revelation. And I've titled uh, this series, um, What Revelation Reveals. Because that's what we need to ask ourselves. What does this book, this revelation, what does it reveal to us? What does God want to reveal to us? What should we focus on and what should we see? And so as we go through this series, that's what our intent is going to be, to to look very specifically, very intently on what it is that God desires to reveal to us through this book, what He has revealed and what He wants us to focus on in that revelation. So as we get started, uh, revelation, I want to make sure everybody understands it's singular. It's not plural. It's not revelations. It's one revelation. One revelation. Um, and it comes from, Revelation comes from the Greek word apokalupsis. Say that five times fast. Apokalupsis. And that Greek word, um, that actually lends to our English word apocalypse. You've heard that, I'm sure. Apocalypse. And you tend to think of apocalypse, and this is largely due to Hollywood's interpretation. You tend to think of apocalypse, and you hear that word, and you think, darkness, doom and gloom, scary, awful things, uh, the, the world just completely imploding upon itself and invading armies and food shortages and all that stuff, right? I mean, when you hear apocalypse, you think darkness, you think despair, you think bad, bad, evil, end of days kind of thing, right? But what apocalypse actually means, and again, this is right from the Greek word, apokalypsis, what it actually means is the unveiling, the unveiling, or the revealing, hence the word revelation. So it's not supposed to be this bad, scary, heavy word, and we need to understand that. We need to have the right perspective on what God has clearly expressed and the way He did it and the, the type of language and wording that He used to express those things. 
We need to make sure we're aligned properly with what is conveyed by the words we read. So that's um, some of the background that I wanted to make sure we are on the same page with as we start this, this great journey through Revelation. And the other thing I want to clear up and make sure we understand is this. The book of Revelation is more about message than mystery. The book of Revelation is more about message than mystery. It's more about conveying truths of God, and particularly, as we're going to see in just a few minutes, specifically the truth about Jesus. It's more about conveying that and communicating that than it is about concealing anything. Um, it's, it's much more about disclosing God's ultimate plans for humanity, and especially for His bride, His church, His people, much more about disclosing His plans and, and his, his perfect timing of how what we know as, as life right now is going to wrap up and how it's going to start the beginning of life as it was intended for us. It's much more about Him disclosing His plans than about any of us trying to decipher some hidden code or hidden agenda or, or hidden meaning. Uh, it's, it's truly a revelation. And when you reveal something, your goal is to fully disclose, fully show uh, whatever you're revealing, not to uh, somehow tease people and, and, and hide something underneath and have them spend all their effort trying to decipher and decode these hidden things. That's, that's not what revelation ever means. And that's not what we should ever approach this revelation with. It's, it's God saying, here's what I want you to know, and, and I'm, I'm revealing my mind, I'm revealing my heart, I'm revealing my plans to you. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not any mystery contained in this, this book. There certainly is. But it's still more about a clear message being communicated than it is about some mystery that we have to try to uncover. We need to get that straight, too. Because, again, Hollywood... Uh, even a lot of Christian books out there, Christian authors, teachers, have taken the approach that was not intended, which is that there's all this secret stuff. And a lot of the reason for that is because the focus is on the sensational. And there is a lot of sensational, sure, in Revelation that we will, we will go through and we'll, we'll dig into and uncover. But the main, the main goal... And the main emphasis is not on the mystery. It's on what is a clear message that we're meant to clearly understand and apply. Okay, so we need to just get that stuff straight, make sure we're on the same page. And um, I, I want to share along those lines with that in mind. I wanted to share with you a great little quote from someone I'm sure a lot of you uh, are familiar with and, and read and, and even heard teach. Charles Ryrie, who's, he's been with the Lord some time now, but he was certainly um, greatly, greatly used by God uh, in the, the teaching and communication and furthering of his word. And Charles, Charles Ryrie uh, said this, Prophecy is designed to unfold or reveal the loveliness of Jesus. That's a great quote, isn't it? That's really the goal of biblical prophecy. 
That's the goal that God has for prophecy. And that's the goal He wants us to have and, and grab onto and apply. That we would see prophecy, specifically the prophecy that we will encounter in this great book. That we will see prophecy as designed for that purpose. To unfold for us, to reveal to us the loveliness, the holiness, the unparalleled majesty, the supremacy, the sovereignty of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the goal of the prophecy of this book and any, any prophecy in the Bible is, is all about. So, with that being said, with that being in mind and established, um, I want to draw your attention to Revelation chapter 1. And I hope that you will either open up your copy of God's Word or bring it up on your phone or tablet, however you have access to God's Word today. And I really want you to be in there with me and follow along as we go through, um, because we're going to just we're going to take this piece by piece this morning together. Okay, so Revelation one one through eight. That's what our focus is going to be on today, as we get started, and we determine. What exactly Revelation reveals? Revelation 1, 1 through 8. And this, this section of verses, this passage, it serves as the prologue or introduction to the rest of the book. Okay? The prologue or introduction. Just like we have in the books that we open up and we read, there's very often a prologue or some sort of uh, lengthy, detailed introduction. That's what this passage is. Revelation 1, starting in verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave him, that the Father, God the Father, gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. So right away, I want to point out and emphasize to you uh, that this revelation that John is writing about, this revelation is of Jesus, and that means that Jesus is actually the one doing the revealing. And as we saw, he, he does it kind of by proxy. He, he gives this revelation by an angel that he sends to his servant John, to his apostle John, which is the beloved disciple uh, that's the one uh, who, when John wrote his epistle, he wouldn't even refer to himself in the first person. He said, this is, when it, when it was an account that was involving him and Jesus, he would say, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He was just so overcome by the fact that he could have a relationship with Jesus that he, he couldn't even bring himself to name himself as related to Jesus. That's that John, the one who wrote the epistle the book of John that we, we have, and also 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Um, that's the one we're talking about. And so he sent an angel to give this revelation to John. So it, it's Jesus ultimately doing the revealing, and of Jesus also shows us that it's about Jesus. Revelation, in, in all that is said and all that is expressed, ultimately the goal is to point back to and shine a great big light on Jesus Christ. We need to understand that. And when it says that um, it's about things that must soon take place, we need to also understand that's not a specific time. It's more talking about a pending reality. It's kind of like when you have, especially little kids, and they know something's happening, they know something's coming up, and they ask you, 
When is this happening? Like think of a birthday or Christmas or vacation. Hey, when is this? When are we going on vacation? When, when is my birthday? When is Christmas time? Uh, I have a six-year-old, and so I get that question a lot. When is, when is such and such happening? When am I able to get such and such? When are we going this place, that place? And you know what my answer is, right? You know where I'm going. What do, what do I tell them? Oh, come on, people. It's not that early in the morning. What do I tell my, my little guy when he asks those questions? Man, you guys are... Whew. Thank you. Somebody did a little bit more there. Yes, I say, I say it soon. I say soon. Soon, Aiden. Soon. And then the next question that he follows up with is, how soon? Or what's that mean? When soon? Like, like there's a part on your watch, you know, that says soon. And it's a certain time. Um, that, that's just, that's how, especially the, the little ones think, and, and let's be honest, that's how the, the big ones think too, right? We want to know when it comes to God and, and His will and His plan and His timing, we want to know, God, when's this going to happen? Come on, come on, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. When's this happening? And this soon that's expressed here, that the revelation that Jesus is is uh, receiving from his Father as a gift. And I mean, that right there is a beautiful thought. That God the Father, as a gift, is giving his Son this awesome revelation that Jesus then takes, gives to an angel and uses the angel as his, you know, postal worker kind of thing and sends this angel giving this revelation to John. These things that must soon take place, it's not soon as in 2 o'clock tomorrow. It's soon as in God knows exactly when all this is going to take place. It's an absolute sure thing. It's a pending reality. It's just waiting to come into to our reality. It's kind of the already and the not yet. We're on the side of the not yet. God is very much in the already. And so His plan, His timetable, the events that He has orchestrated and worked out and sovereignty, sovereignly put together... It's a sure thing. It's just, not, it's just not here yet. It's not before us yet. But it's coming. And so the soon refers to when all that is His reality and all that is His plan, when that comes in, when it invades our time and our space, when that happens, then all those events are going to be in like rapid succession. succession. It's, just going to, it's going to be sudden and definite and constant when it happens. But the when is just not yet. Okay, That's what's wrapped up there. And verse 2 says that when John, when his servant, the beloved disciple, um, when he, he receives that, he, he gets this incredible revelation, and he, he does what he's supposed to. He starts telling about it. Verse 2, his servant John, that's how verse 1 ended, who testified to the Word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, whatever he saw, that's important. That means he didn't leave anything out. Whatever Jesus disclosed to him, revealed to him, he was faithful and intentional to communicate it, to testify to it, to talk about it, to disclose it, to pass along that revelation. Even when it was uncomfortable, even when he didn't know all the answers about it, even when he didn't have it all figured out, even when it was scary, even when he probably would have preferred to leave some parts out. 
He didn't do it. It says that he was faithful. He was faithful and diligent to testify to and communicate about to the, this, this awesome word and revelation of God, whatever he saw. And just a little bit of practical application on this for us. Friends, we have this incredible privilege as believers to have the very Word of God completely available to us. I mean, you've got it hopefully with you today, and whatever uh, you brought with you, whether that's a, an actual physical Bible or whether it's on a, on a phone or a tablet, we have this incredible access to the Word of God in literally hundreds of different translations available at our fingertips. And if you're a believer in Christ and you have the Word of God, not only do you have that written Word in front of you, but you have the author of the book inside of you that is able to explain what you're reading and, and what you're, you're actually looking at, guide you step by step. I mean, think of any hard-to-understand book that you have ever read or been required to read and how nice it would have been if you had the author of that book right there with you as your personal tutor, line by line, saying, here's what I meant by this when I said this, this hard-to-understand line here. Well, we've got the very Spirit of God, the author of the Word of God, dwelling inside of us. And He doesn't just want us to understand what we're reading. He wants all of us to be faithful in revealing and communicating that to everyone else. It's not just my job. I mean, that is certainly primarily my role here at this church body, but it's not just my job. If you're a believer in Christ, then you should love the Word of God, you should know the Word of God, and you're, you're to proclaim the Word of God. You're to point other people to it. And you need to be faithful to do that, whatever it is, even the hard sayings, the hard things, those messy parts, those things that you would just as soon leave out, you need to be faithful to communicate it anyway. It's about the whole counsel of the Word of God. That's what we need to be about. So keep that in mind. And I'm so thankful that John was that way, that he was faithful to do that. And we're going to see that more and more as we go forward in this great book. Verse 3 says this, Blessed is the one who reads aloud. That's what I'm doing right now, what I'm going to do, Lord willing, throughout this whole series. Who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, or the words of this book. And blessed are those who hear, that's you all, the words of this prophecy, and keep what is written in it, because the time is near. More on that in just a second. But there's this, this great blessing that is promised for all who engage in this book and the words of this prophecy. The first one is, blessed is the one who reads aloud. And again, I, I, like I just said, that's me or, or others like me, people who are standing in this role as pastor-teacher, reading aloud and, and seeking to communicate what is, is written and what is revealed here uh, to the best of our ability and by the power and the ability of the Holy Spirit. We're, we're reading this aloud. We're trying to communicate this to the, the local church. And then, blessed are those who hear that, that 
prophecy and that word being read aloud. So as you are listening and you're engaging in what is being read aloud and communicated to you, you're going to be blessed, but there's, a, there's an and there. I hope you, you notice that. Blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep or apply or do what is written in it. That is the idea of what James communicated to us when he said that we need to all be doers of the Word and not just hearers only deceiving ourselves. James said, don't just think it's enough to just hear God's Word, God's truth. You know, oh, I've heard it, I've listened to it, I think now it's just going to somehow by osmosis, you know, just change things in me. No, he's saying you're, you're deceived if you think that's how it works. You hear the Word of God, you hear His truth, and then you actually put it into action. You apply it. You do something about it. That's what's being communicated here. You're going to be blessed if you hear and apply what you hear. It's very important. And there, there's an urgency to that. There's a reason why that's so important. He says that at the end of verse 3, the, the reason why we need to be diligent to keep what we hear as it's read, as it's taught, he says, because the time is near. And like, like I just said a few minutes ago, this word time, that's not clock time. That's not the way we think of time. Uh, it's, it's actually more a fixed, planned event. It's a a coming age. That's what John means when he says time. A fixed planned event or a coming age, a different age. And he says it's near. That means it's imminent. means it could happen at any point. And when it happens, everything's going to change quickly in succession. And this is really what we talked about last week as we wrapped up our our doctrine study, and we, we talked about ecclesiology, the study of the church. And we ended with Hebrews 10.25, where it says, don't forsake, don't neglect the gathering of yourselves together, even though that's the habit of some people, but rather encourage one another constantly and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That's what the author of Hebrews said. And, and I said last week, the day there, that's a big capital D, and that's referring to the second coming of Jesus. The ushering in of, of all that's promised and all that's been prophesied and all that's been pointed to, which we will see in this book. And that's the same concept that's being communicated here. In other words, time as you know it, life as you know it, as it's gone about for centuries, it's not going to just always be this way. There is a a coming new reality. There's a coming age that's going to come invade the one that we're in. And that's imminent. It really could happen at any time. There's nothing else preventing it from happening. God's calendar has already been moving toward that. And so because of that, it's very important that we communicate what's being revealed in this great book Revelation. We, we communicate it to one another. We share it with one another, and we're encouraged by it. We also proclaim it to those that have yet to surrender their lives to Christ so that they can hear 
they can believe and they can be rescued from what is certainly going to be unparalleled despair and destruction that is going to be part of what this book reveals. That's also part of that reality. So, because the time is near, blessed is one who reads aloud, blessed are those who hear and keep what is written. Then he shifts gears, John, and, and he starts letting the, the people that will receive originally this great revelation, and by extension all of us, it lets us know who specifically this is intended for and, and written to. Um, verse 4 says, John, so he's the one that's, that's communicating this. He's received this. He's writing all this down. He's communicating this, passing this along. John, to the seven churches in Asia. We're going to dive into what that's all about in chapters 2 and 3. Those are specific churches that were existing at the time of this revelation, um, at the time of John's life and towards the end of his life. And so this revelation was specifically to seven churches in Asia Minor, in the area surrounding Turkey. But those seven churches, they were representative of and symbolic of every church age after that. So it's absolutely something that's applicable and relevant to all of us because even though it was directly intended to them, it was not limited to them. And what is communicated to each of these seven churches, God absolutely intends to communicate to every church in every age after them. Important to understand that. He says this, grace and peace to you from the one who is, who was, and who is to come. And that's a reference to God the Father. And from the seven spirits before his throne. That's literally the sevenfold spirit. That's talking about the Holy Spirit. And that's a specific reference to seven characteristics about the Holy Spirit that are found in Isaiah 11.2. So the Apostle John is referring back to Isaiah when he says this about the Holy Spirit. And so our, our English translation, seven spirits, plural, it's really, it really should be the sevenfold Spirit, talking about seven amazing characteristics and attributes of the Spirit of God. And, verse 5, and from Jesus Christ. He's the one doing the revelation, revealing. He's the, the uh, source of revelation. And the Father gave that to him, and he passed it on to John. So, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead. That's really the first place, the, the kind of the first fruits. He's the one that actually stepped in to, resignate, to, to the resurrection first. And because he stepped in to resurrection and had that as his reality, he shares it then with all who are in him. He's the first fruit of that. The first fruits that is the promise of resurrection for all who come after him. He's the forerunner. That's what's wrapped up in that word firstborn from the dead. And the ruler of the kings of the earth. So right here in just these two verses, as John is saying, here's who I'm writing to and here's who I'm writing from, you see the Trinity on display. On, on just absolute, beautiful display. 
Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who was, and who is to come. That's the Father. From the sevenfold Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. And from Jesus Christ, God the Son. So the Trinity, once again, working in humanity. Bringing about the plan of God. Just like happened at creation. Just like with salvation. And it's the same at the end of all things. At the culmination of God's plan. Isn't that beautiful? That all throughout... God's revelation from beginning to end, you see the triune God working in harmony, working to bring about the plan that only God can bring about. And he continues on at the end of verse 5, after he gives these these wonderful statements and titles uh, to Jesus and about him, he says, to him who loves us and has set us free from our sins, by His blood. That was the the cost of setting us free. That's the means that He used to set us free. His own blood. To Him who loves us and has set us free from our sins by His blood and made us a kingdom, priests to His God and Father, to Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Think about what is expressed here. John can't help but point us back to the cross. That this this majestic person named Jesus, God the Son, the One that is being revealed, the One doing the revealing of, of this great communication, He stooped down lower than anybody ever could have, and sacrificed Himself to free us from the very thing that would always keep us from Him, our sin. He did it by His blood. And He didn't just do that. He didn't just sacrifice Himself, but because He sacrificed Himself, because He paid our ransom and paid for our freedom by His blood, He was able to go further than that. And verse 6 tells us He made us the ones who were rebels, the ones who were, like we talked about at length in the last series, dead in our sins, what did He do? He made us a kingdom and priests to His God and His Father. So our great King and our great High Priest made us a royal kingdom and a royal priesthood under Him before His Father. Incredible. Incredible. And something we could never, ever deserve or earn. That's what's being revealed as well. That's what's being revealed along with revealing the the majesty and the splendor of Jesus. It's the awesome privilege that we have because of Jesus. And then verse 7, he turns the attention from what is currently true of us and what was true uh, by what Jesus did to looking ahead. And he says this in verse 7. Look. Look. It's, it's an emphatic statement. It's an exclamation. Look. He is coming. 
with the clouds, and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over Him. So it is to be. Amen. In other words, John is saying this is an absolute sure thing. This is a definite reality. This is not hypothetical. This is not to be questioned. This is to be accepted with all certainty. He is coming. And isn't that good news for you today, church? That your Savior, your sacrificed Savior, who also is your risen Savior and your reigning and ruling Savior, because that's what He's doing right now. He's reigning and ruling over everything and interceding for you and me. So our our sent and sacrificed Savior, our resurrected Savior, who is our reigning, ruling, interceding Savior, He's also our returning Savior. And that gives us all the hope we could ever need. That this, all of this, all of the hardness of life, all the chaos of life and the confusion and the despair and the discouragement, the difficulty that is just life here, That's not all of life. And that's not how life is going to stay. If you're in Christ, you have that blessed hope of of a returning Savior that will truly bring about the restoration of all things. There's our hope. Then in verse 8, there's this incredible shift. And for the first time, John, and by extension, us, all who read this this revelation, get to hear directly from the one being revealed and doing the the revealing. Verse 8, I am. There's an Old Testament reference to Yahweh, the, the personal name of God. I am the Alpha and the Omega. That's the, the first and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. In, in other words, I'm the A to Z. I'm there at the beginning and and orchestrating the beginning and I'm there at the end and I'm orchestrating the end and everything in between. I am the all in all is what's being expressed here. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God. And specifically, this is God the Son. This is Jesus speaking. The One who is eternal. Who was eternal. And who is to come eternal. And also speaking of His imminent return, where He will come not as that meek, humble servant who emptied Himself of all His divine privileges like Philippians 2 tells us, but as the conquering, victorious, reigning King. That's how He's going to come. The Almighty. The Almighty. And you're familiar with that word, the Almighty, as it relates to God, but there's so much wrapped up in that. And in the Greek, the word there, that literally means the one who has his hands on everything. Isn't that awesome? The one who has his hands on everything. It's like the, the old song that probably many of you know. He's got the whole world in his hands. You know that song, right? And you just want to start clapping, right? You can if you want, I guess. But it's so, it's so good to know. So good to know that the one 
revealed not just in Revelation, but really from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. When, when we see God, and specifically God the Son revealed, we see a God who always has the whole world in His hands. No matter what. No matter what seems to be spiraling out of control in the world as a whole or in your world personally. No matter what seems to be all over the place and messed up, that you, through Jesus, can know and have a God who constantly has the whole world in His hands, including your world, personally. The Savior of the world being revealed very, very powerfully in this book, Revelation, the Savior of the world is also the sovereign over the world. And He always, always will be. So take heart. Be encouraged by that. No matter what you face when you go through those doors, you've got a sovereign Savior who's reigning and ruling and who is one day absolutely returning. John points the attention back to the cross where the blood of our Savior was shed for us to bring us to God. But he also points ahead. He says, look, he, he's coming. <laughs> he, didn't just, he didn't just die. He rose, he returned to the Father, and he's returning from the Father. So he points to the blood of the cross, but he also points to the empty cross. And that's exactly what happens every time that we celebrate, as believers in Christ, the Lord's Supper. We look back and draw our attention back to remembering the awesome sacrifice of our Savior, but we also proclaim, in proclaiming His death, we also proclaim His resurrection and His return. And it's important to do that from time to time so that we don't grow cold to what has happened what was done on our behalf, so that we don't ever get used to it, so that we're still amazed, so that our hearts can stay tender to all that was done for us and all that we have. So that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to transition to a time of communion where we once again remind ourselves, like, like John did for us here, that there was a price for our redemption. There was a price for the reality that we have as Christians. That price was paid it was accepted in full. Jesus returned, but he's also returning again. Isn't that good news? I'm going to pray, and then we're going to celebrate the Lord's table together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your great revelation that you gave your son and that he gave his servant, John, that was then passed along to us and communicated to us. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what you've made true. Help us to do what John uh, challenged us to do, to regularly read aloud the words of this prophecy in particular, to hear it, but not just hear it, but to keep it with urgency, with determination, especially as we see the day, the great day of your Son, our Savior, returning. Help us to be faithful witnesses like He was. Thank You that You and Your Son and Your Spirit, the great three-in-one, have the world and all of our experiences in your hand, under your control, in your perfect plan and your perfect timing. Thank you most of all for the giving of your Son on our behalf. We celebrate that now 
in glory and honor of him, in Jesus' name, amen.